0: The system in America was never built for black people and it's never, this is my personal opinion, I'm speaking for myself. I don't believe it was never built for black people because that system has never been changed. Those documents have never been altered. These things were made back in the umpteen hundreds and these are the same exact literature that's down today. And that was not on purpose was order and truth, okay, they mad, they mad, they mad, they high. So mind you, at the time it was made, black people was never in the position where they were, you know, looked at as equal. So if it's the same documents that they're applying today, in 2014, it
1: wasn't meant for them. They know what they've done to us. All across this country,
2: they know what they've done
3: to us. This country is desperately sick, and man is on criticalness. I really don't know where we go for here.
2: Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. Today's episode is all about the pandemics. Plural. Racism is one pandemic facing our nation. From the housing crisis, to the oppressive way in which capitalism can work against our people, to the bigoted shadow cast over professional sports. But first, the top headline, the obvious pandemic, COVID-19. The U.S. set another daily record of new positive cases of COVID-19, just shy of 60,000. Dr. Bruce Dart, the executive director of the Tulsa Health Department, attributes the spike in Oklahoma specifically to the indoor Trump rally last month. Let's take a look.
4: I'm asking everyone today to wear a face covering. Come together as a community, as we have done in the past, to protect each other and slowing the spread. As we said last week, we started to see a slight decline in trends, but this week that's changed. So we are closely monitoring data and following those trends. If we continue to see an exponential rise in cases, which frankly we expect over the next few days, I will be asking our local mayors and city councils to make face coverings mandatory.
2: Now it spikes across lots of states in our country. The total of US COVID cases is now well above 3 million, and that's 130,000 deaths. And it's a hitting the black community especially hard. Y'all, we only make up 13% of this nation's population, but we make up 26% of this nation's COVID cases. And that's an alarming cause of concern for all of our people. And just earlier this week, Dr. Anthony Fauci urged that we're actually just knee deep in the first wave of this pandemic. And today, he said that states with alarmingly high rates of COVID should actually consider shutting down again. So, with more to add on the matter of these spikes allegedly being due to the protest we're going to hear from dr patrice harris let's take a look
5: thank you ebony my name is dr savoy brummer well what we are seeing in the black community is that blacks are dying at one and a half times the amount as white patients are, are dying and there are really three reasons for that the first is i always say that health is tied with wealth right and black average uh, household wealth is about $13,000 while white median household wealth is $140,000. And what that does is that when you insert a pandemic that requires you to stay at home and to socially distance, if you've got a lot of wealth, you can stay at home and live on your previous generations of earnings to remain healthy. However, if you're black and brown, uh, if you're part of the black and brown communities, you've got to participate in the economy. And so you are ex- increasing your exposure to COVID-19 because you've got to keep food on the, on the table. Moreover, once you get infected with COVID-19, black people have a much higher rate of being uninsured, right? So 9% of white folks are unemployed versus about 15% of black folks. And then you throw on top of all that, multi-generational healthcare disparities in diabetes, high blood pressure, um, obesity, those things create this exponentially bad effect of how this disease is affecting the black community. So our goal as physicians, again, is to educate those in the black community and give them some guidance so that we can take care of ourselves and we can collectively uh, do what we need to do to save lives if you start having symptoms of COVID-19, the number one thing that you don't want to immediately do is just go into the hospital, right? Because if you are feeling um, only very mild symptoms, please go home, isolate yourself immediately, right? What you want, there are all kinds of outlets that you can use to get for questions, to get your questions answered. You can use telemedicine services, Um, such as Teladoc, you can um, even call your primary care doctor. There are all kinds of things that you can do. You can even look on the internet for basic information. But flooding, you know, emergency departments um, or primary care settings with positive um, COVID cases when you're really having mild symptoms is not doing anybody any favors and it's only spreading the disease. Um, The vast majority of COVID-19 cases resolve on their own without complication. I'll tell you that the, the The times in which you wanna go and visit uh, a emergency uh, service is if you're having shortness of breath. If you feel like you can't breathe, you gotta go in immediately. If you feel like, um, uh, in addition, uh, that you can't move any side of your body, there's a a very weird presentation of COVID-19 that's affecting young people and that they are presenting with strokes. So younger people are presenting with, uh, with strokes and an inability to talk and those types of things that, at very young ages, we're talking about in their 20s and 30s and 40s, as opposed to later on in life. So anything that's out of the normal, that is something that you are clearly not used to, please come to the emergency department. However, if it's a little cough, little, little fever, uh, you know, again, just drink some juice, stay hydrated, and, and uh, again, wait 14 days before you expose um, yourself to the public. Um, one other tidbit that I would request is that if you've been around anyone over those past two weeks, you need to give them a call and let them know that they need to isolate themselves as well because they could have uh, they could be asymptomatic carriers of COVID-19. So take your time, isolate yourself, communicate with those who are around you, and uh, and again, you're going to be saving lives. I appreciate the space to give some of my insight. Thank you, everyone. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, you folks at Revolt are saving lives. With the spikes in COVID cases all across the country, one state's top of
2: mind, Florida. Now we're going to take a look inside with one of Florida's own who's doing the work in this time of need. Rapper Florada, along with Dr. George Tabby, partnered up for the Ask Tabs Mobile Wellness Center. Let's take a look.
1: Thanks, Ebony. It's Florada here with Dr. Tabby, here to tell you guys all about are Ashtab Wellness. Tabs is a mobile wellness service that allows Dr. T to be able to provide more personal convenient services for patients in the community.
6: So ASTABS Mobile Wellness is an initiative that um, I brought the flow. You know, we've already been on the path of helping people. So how it works is that ASTABS Mobile Wellness Initiative was to be able to provide convenient care to the people of the community that are not able to get to their doctors due to the conditions of COVID-19. You know, I was working in an emergency room in urgent care and I was recognizing that we're quarantining people, but who's still giving them attention? Who's helping them refill their medications? Who's helping come screen the ones that have been at home quarantined that still want to be able to know their status if they have antibodies to be able to possibly go back to work? Um, this is very important information, particularly in the Black and Latino communities, which are having the highest infectivity rate. These are people that consequently will end up having the most amount of immunity and should have the higher amount of antibody production. So that's why I thought that the antibody test was a good option for people that are not showing symptoms that are at home, that are quarantined, that are possibly exposed, um, as well as other services that could help them um, while they're at at home in that convenience. We can be able to provide those services due to the inability to really get a doctor's appointment right now. It's very difficult. I just thought it would be a great initiative to help get into the community, you know, establish this, and hopefully other cities could take heed and join us in this fight um, to help people um, at their convenience. I think that right now, more than ever, um, uh, people of influence celebrities, um, people in wh- whatever realm you fit, if you have a community which needs similar, um, help and similar medical attention, I think it's important for us to come together more than ever before to create this opportunity in those places as well. I think that all of us together can do much more than a few of us. So that's been the goal.
1: And we want to thank everyone from Revoke for helping us, you know, um, get this out there, get the message out there and, you know, um. Revolt has always been very supportive of myself, so, I mean, much love. For those who are trying to reach us, can go to asktabwellness.com, and, you know, our goal is to continue to be a convenience to everyone. We want to thank everyone for all the love and support, and, you know, God bless.
2: Now, with all the spikes of COVID-19 cases, there is a narrative out there, mostly being taught by Republicans, that the spike is a result of Black Lives Matter protests. Now, there's a 60-page paper released by the National Bureau of Economic Research that suggests otherwise. That paper says that there's no evidence that urban protests reignited COVID-19 case growths during the more than three weeks following the onset of the protest. So with more to add on the matter of these spikes allegedly being due to the protest, we're going to hear from Dr. Patrice Harris. Let's take a look.
3: Thanks, Ebony. I'm Dr. Patrice Harris, and I'm here to talk about the protests being blamed for the spikes. We should not uh, blame uh, the spikes in positive coronavirus uh, cases to the protest. Uh, There are many uh, reasons. Um, They will be different in each region as to the increase in cases. Uh, We can date uh, some of this to uh, improved or increased mobility. Uh, certainly a lot of people were out during the Memorial Day weekend uh, congregating in bars, and they did not wear a mask. And in many of the protests that I saw, the protesters were wearing masks. And so I think that um, at this point, uh, we should not be uh, relating the increase in coronavirus testing to the protest. I appreciate the time to speak about this important issue. So thank you.
2: Welcome back to Revolt Black News. I'm joined by two very special guests. Now, she's a policy analyst and the host of many, many podcasts, Danielle Moody. He is a political consultant and writer, Mr. Shermichael Singleton. Welcome to you both. Both longtime friends of mine in the business, and I appreciate both of you for joining. And both of you have very unique and particular insights on issues that relates to our people and to politics. So I want to start with you, Danielle. Obviously, when we talk about COVID-19, uh, we have to know that Black Lives Mattering includes the Black housing crisis that is upon us. Now, Danielle, some housing advocates are saying that evictions, and, and we know that evictions are going to be the inevitable outcome of the moratoriums being canceled as of recent and upcoming, they're saying that those evictions are a form of state violence. What's your reaction to that?
7: I mean, the reality here is that we know that every time, uh there are instances of housing discrimination housing crisis it's always black people that are going to bear the brunt and right now um unlike in many countries that have been dealing with the covid crisis that they have taken care of their citizens Mm -hmm. they have taken care of them by saying here is a monthly stipend not a Mm one-time payment of 1200 dollars which i'm still confused about what that was supposed to do Um, Mm -hmm. but here is to ensure that while you're taking care of yourself and taking care of your family you don't have to worry about keeping a roof over your head this Mm -hmm. administration has not cared about that and so I, I do think that it is a form uh, of violence. It is a form of purposeful ignorance uh, on behalf of those that are saying, well, you know, the moratorium is up. So these people have to have to deal with it when they are already dealing with so very much.
2: We already know that Black and Latina X uh, communities have increased numbers of COVID exposure and deaths. We know this already. So then when we look at the fact that they are also predisposed Black and Latin X people to be renters as a home of as opposed to homeowners, we know that there's a compounding interest there, a compounding effect. So, Michael, what do you think about the notion that we should just cancel these rents? Or perhaps it's a conversation where we should be having where the government should be paying people's rents for them, kind of like Danielle said, instead of just these one-time $1,200 checks, giving people money to pay their rent so that the economy doesn't further stagnate.
4: Right. I mean, so see, part of the, the question that has sort of arisen in a lot of policy circles has really focused on if you do suspend rents for, let's say, an addition for six months to a year, what does that mean in regards to property taxes? Because then you have uh, the individuals who own those homes who may own a small duplex who are unable to pay property taxes, which most cities and municipalities depend on to actually operate. And so that sort of becomes a more complex question. And so I think from a policy perspective, we have to figure out a way, how do you preserve people's livelihoods by making sure that people have a safe and, and comfortable and affordable home to live in? That's a part of the mission of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. And I think one such way of doing that is making sure that people are not evicted out of their homes because they were affected by COVID-19 economically, financially. And I think the government can, through a policy way, figure out a way to do that.
2: Danielle, what do you recommend policy-wise? Because is it one of the government allowing uh, checks and and monetary supplementation so that people can pay their rent? Or is it the cancellation that you prefer?
7: You know, I think that there actually needs to be a both-and approach, right? What we know is that people actually do need money. The reality is this. We constantly hear that the government just doesn't have any money, but somehow they were able to come off of a trillion dollars, right, for mm-hmm. corporations. Somehow they were able to provide, you know, um, PPP, not necessarily for small businesses, but for yeah. a round of, you know, political elites, for a round of Trump cronies, for the Kushner's businesses and what and so. Here's the thing. What we know, too, is that people are fleeing cities. And so you may want to hold on to the renters that you have right now. I mean, who didn't get a PPP check? We know Kanye
2: West and Yeezy Brand got one. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts, uh, Shake Shack rather, got one. Had yep. to send the money back. Everybody and their mama got a check. So Except for 95% so yeah.
7: of black and brown people. That's who didn't exactly. get that, including my mother who owns a yoga studio on Long Island. Did not receive it
2: mutual friends even of ours that have small black businesses from PR firms and different Mm -hmm. places. A lot of people don't have it. So here's my question to you, Michael. And I know that for fiscal conservatives like yourself, you know, some of these big spending solutions might not be as attractive. Politically speaking, um, do you think that there are some conservatives Sir Michael that would be willing in this particular special instance, spend that money?
4: PPP itself, the idea behind PPP actually came from AEI, the American Enterprise Institute, which mm. is a conservative think tank. But just imagine a PPP for renters uh, where instead of it being a temporary loan that could be forgiven, perhaps we say it's more so of a grant. I think it's very possible to do something that keeps people in their homes, keeps them safe, while also allowing the, the small mom-and-pop landlords to get some type of capital to continue to pay into the city and municipality that we know those places need to survive in order to pay for medical uh, health, as far as firemen, as far as police, etc.
2: One of the primary basic tools of wealth generating is real estate, home ownership. Uh, we don't see it. The numbers are going really down, down, and down every year when it comes to young black professionals and, and, and black just employed professional class folks in terms of home ownership. Danielle, I'll start with you. Um, why do you think that's been the case? And Listen, there is an argument to be made that uh, certain lifestyles of of our generation are just more suited to a renter's lifestyle, but is is there a consequence when it comes to our ability to really build generational wealth if we are sacrificing uh, the opportunities of home ownership, or are we just not having those opportunities for home ownership? For me,
7: what we have to be looking at are different ways in order to underwrite loans for people that don't require a credit score. Right. That are work people that are working with instead of these large banks who don't give black mm-hmm. folks one or two looks to work with community banks. Right, community mm. banks are stepping up in a large way in order Good to point. say, "What can we do?" Um, because we have been an obstacle to building wealth for Black people, for Latinx people. What can we do? But to the other, to your other point about not, it not necessarily being conducive to lifestyle, because people change jobs a lot more and they move around um, a bit. But what we still know to be true, which is what Sher Michael has said, is that this is how you build wealth in America. The American dream is. is based off of property.
2: It is why we. asked for 40 acres and a mule. Um, Before we let you go, Michael, you know, you have to talk about the news that you broke last week, brother, uh, when (laughs) when you decided to part company uh, from the GOP, the grand old party. But uh, I want to hear from you in your own words, Michael. Why did you at this point in your career decide to walk away from the Republican Party?
4: Yeah, sure. I mean, Ebony, it's something that I've considered for quite a while. And it just finally became, I don't want to say it became clear. I just finally decided that this whole idea, notion that I had—that perhaps you know the work that I've put in over a very long time in the Trump era specifically—would uh, be enough to sort of move the party back towards a direction that I thought was more promising, particularly as demography changes across the country, which as we know is gonna be, you know, not good for the Republican Party. That hasn't traditionally done well outside of a white constituency. I'm a contextualist as it pertains to conservatism, and people always ask well, what in the heck is conservatism because of what I see. I was tell people if you go back and you read some of the original philosophers who, you know, sort of put pen to paper describing what this ideology was intended to mean and what it would look like when actualized in the body politic, it is certainly not what you see represented by the Republican Party. And it hasn't been for a long time, Ebony, but at least before you had a few people, you had the Jack Kemps of the world, you had the Colin Powell, you had a few people, Ed Brooks, a former senator from Massachusetts, you had a few people really trying to to right some of the wrongs of the party. I just think it's gotten to the point where those people have been so ostracized out of the party that what is left is just something that I'm not comfortable with being a part of anymore.
2: All right, thank you, Sir Michael and Danielle for taking the time for this really important and powerful conversation. Now we're gonna take a quick break, but when we get back today's headlines, more Revolt Black News after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Here are today's headlines. The news transcripts taken from the body cameras involved in the death of George Floyd reveal Mr. Floyd begging for his life, while Officer Derek Chauvin calmly told him to stop talking, stop yelling. The transcript also reports that another officer involved, Thomas Lane, asked if Mr. Floyd should be turned on his side, but Chauvin refused to do so. The government's additional $300 to $600 for individual unemployment benefits is set to expire on Friday, July 31st. But reports are telling people that some states pay out on Saturdays or Sundays, meaning that benefits could stop up to one week early. And with all the unemployment going on, the demand for suits has significantly dropped, causing the 200-year-old clothing company Brooks Brothers to file for bankruptcy. The menswear company is planning to close 50 of its 200 stores. So can't say I'm crying too many tears for Brooks Brothers closing some stores because frankly, Brooks Brothers has a long and storied history of being one of the original outfitters of black American slaves. So for there to be less Brooks Brothers, I'm not at all sad about it. The US Supreme Court has ruled in favor of the Trump administration's regulation that allows for employers with religious or moral objections to opt out of birth control coverage from the Affordable Care Act. So this to me just seems Well, backwards, because these same religious organizations, well, they zealously advocate against uh, women's rights to regulate their own bodies and terminate pregnancies. But yet and still, they also want to object to a woman's right and access to have birth control. Well, that would almost seem as if these organizations are trying to legislate morality. And what we know, that's impossible and totally unacceptable. According to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, the U.S. is looking into banning Chinese apps, including TikTok, for national security concerns. Let's take a look.
6: So this doesn't pr- pr- uh, relate to any one particular business or company, um, but rather to American national security.
2: Now from TikTok, we'll move over to IG, where TI continues to troll 50 Cent for an official versus battle. But so far, 50 is yet to formally accept the challenge. Let's take a look.
0: If you get a chance...
6: Yes,
2: sir. Please tell Fit to bring his ass on out here and get this smoke. Congrats are in order for Revolt family member, Charlemagne the God. Charlemagne is set to host his own weekly talk show on Comedy Central. The show is set to focus on current events, cultural issues, and has the hopes of being on air before November's election and more congratulations this time not just for charlemagne but also his co hosts dj envy and angela yee all three host the breakfast club and the show is being nominated for the 2020 class of the national radio hall of fame the breakfast club is 10 years strong they're longtime friends of mine congratulations to the breakfast club and to all the nominees all right claiming he's done with president trump kanye west has officially announced he's running for the united states presidency west says he will do so under the birthday party and that his VP will be a preacher from Wyoming. Now I want to say that the knee jerk of course is to dismiss Kanye West's presidential run because he's failed to even declare in enough states to be on the ballot in any electoral stronghold so it looks like a distraction which I think it is. But I also think there's something more serious underneath it. Uh, Reports are coming out from Kanye's family that there's serious concern that he's relapsed into a bipolar episode refusing to take his medications and things of this nature. Y'all know I'm a strong advocate for mental health awareness and the destigmatizing of it. And uh, I really just want to say prayers to Brother Kanye as he continues to face his challenges around bipolarism and mental health. Colin Kaepernick has signed a first look deal with the Walt Disney Company. Now the projects will deal especially with racial and social injustice issues and the partnership will distribute across several of the Disney's many platforms. A plan is already in the works for a docu-series about Kaepernick's life for ESPN Films. I want to say that a producer on Kaepernick's projects is going to be Jamel Hill. What a full-circle moment from the ESPN talent that walked away from ESPN a year ago. Now she's coming back on her own terms. Congratulations, Colin and Jamel. And the Ivy League has canceled all sports for the entire year, making them the first D1 conference to drop out of this upcoming football season. Now y'all, I think we all have to take heed to this. When the Ivy League says they're gonna take care of their own, everybody needs to follow suit and take care of their own. Until the government spends the money to make sure these facilities are able to have social distancings, they're properly cleaned, that classrooms, frankly, have the proper protocol with masks and social distancing and protective mechanisms, It's not safe and we have to exercise caution and to end on some very positive news. Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, Pat Mahomes, has signed a 10-year extension, forget this, $503 million. Now the decade-long deal doesn't actually go into effect until 2022 when his current rookie contract expires. Let's take a look.
8: It's been a team effort the entire way and I think that's the special thing about this organization is that uh, like V said, there's trust amongst everybody. Uh, as much as I trust in them, they trust in me. And we were able to go out there and get this contract done the right way that not only gives me the, the security that, I, that I've i always wanted, but also uh, allows opportunity for the team to be great around me uh, the entire duration of my career. And I, I, I have full trust that things will get handled, handled the right way as we go throughout this career and that we will be in the, a position to win a lot of football games and hopefully – Uh, win a lot more championships as, as my career goes on.
2: And that's it for today's headlines. Now, we've got much more on the way, including a special word from ACON about Black capitalism. Revolt Black News will be right back after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now, it's been a huge week in sports news, and the push for recruits to go to HBCUs continues. Last week, the top recruit of the 2023 basketball class, Mikey Williams, posted a more than cryptic tweet with the hashtag hbcu and then days later the 611 star mccurr maker committed to howard university which in his words he's making the movement real and in professional sports the washington redskins and the cleveland indians are both rightfully getting a lot of public scrutiny for their team names and they're both reviewing the situation now to hear more on the matter we're going to hear from a friend of mine She's usually over there anchoring at Fox Sports, but today she's joining us on Revolt Black News, Joy Taylor.
9: Thanks, Ebony. This is Joy Taylor here to give you some of my insight on these teams and their name changes. So this controversy has been going on really since the 60s. Um, It's about 87 years now, I believe that the Redskins have had this name, but it has been controversial for quite some time. And in the sports world, it's been a conversation that we've been having quite a bit over the last decade. In general, if something has to be discussed this much about whether or not it is appropriate, you can probably lean towards it's inappropriate. There's been a lot of public polls about whether or not there should be a name change, about whether the name is actually offensive. There's been all kinds of different conversations that have been had, statements that have been put out from the owner, Dan Snyder, that the name will never change. Roger Goodell has spoke on it. Barack Obama spoke on it. So this has been going on for quite some time, but it's now obviously reached the headlines again because FedEx, Pepsi, and Nike, collectively worth $620 billion, have insisted on the name being changed. So here we are. But there is a long storied history about the Redskins name and whether or not it should be changed. But obviously we've reached a point where this is going to happen. In my opinion, we need to get away from teams that are named after people. I think that there is a great lack of historical context when it comes to what Native Americans have endured throughout this country's history, and Native Americans are obviously still greatly a, a disenfranchised community so to sit to speak on it as a whole as you know this is honoring Native Americans when you are are already in a situation where you're being forced to change the name because it is controversial and considered by many to be a slur and dishonoring to Native Americans. I don't understand the attachment to a Native American name. It's very clear that we need to move in a different direction. And I'm, I'm hopeful that the people that are in the room making that decision insist on that as well. All right, I appreciate the time to share my thoughts on the issue, and I look forward to seeing how it develops.
2: Welcome back to Revolt Black News. We're going to get into an important conversation about Black capitalism. So I'm joined by two very special guests to discuss both the pros and the cons of it. Joining me is rapper and entrepreneur, Slim Thug, and also journalist, Aaron Ross Coleman. So welcome to you both. Now, Black capitalism is a topic that many people are talking about these days. I'm going to start off with you, Aaron, because you wrote a brilliant piece, and I read all of it, where you say Black capitalism will not save us.
8: us more. For most of American history, Black people were slaves uh, for 250 years. 100 years after that, they're dealing with Jim Crow, just another form of labor exploitation, uh, whether that's through sharecropping or convict leasing. Um, And then even in the post-civil rights era, you see a lot of the same kind of job discrimination and labor market segmentation, so Black people tend to work in lower paying jobs. um, And Uh, the presence of Black entrepreneurs don't really change that. Um, So you can have a Black landlord and you'll still get evicted. You know, you can work at a a Black-owned franchise and you'll still be making minimum wage. And so there's kind of a a seductive idea with Black capitalism that through like Black investors and and Black entrepreneurs, we can close the racial wealth gap, which exists at a 10 to 1 gap, but that gap Mm -hmm. wasn't created by consumer spending patterns. Large uh, economic policies are what created the racial wealth gap in addition to slavery, Um, and it'll take some type of large economic policy intervention to stop it.
2: All right, so Slim Thug, I want to get your reaction to that, but first I want to just make sure that we note in addition, of course, to being on the buy back the block remix yourself, you've also, you know, you have a strong footprint in the world of entrepreneurship. You've got boss life construction company and really making a huge impact there and investing specifically in the youth and some programs we'll get to. So what's your retort slim thug on the notion that, um, black entrepreneurship, perhaps black, uh, business ownership and black consumerism, uh, is not going to save us in the way that Aaron spoke about.
1: Honestly, uh I never thought about it, how he explained it. And, um, that makes total sense to me, you know, but, um, um, uh, my life, my, my personal, um, experience was I just was a kid who come from the hood who really didn't have a lot of education outside of high school education. Um, and I was, and became a rapper and was just trying to figure out different things I can do with my money. You know what I'm saying? And, from the outside of how I look at it, I just see so many other races benefit from our neighborhoods. So I would love to see more black entrepreneurs from that standpoint, but he right. It won't save everybody. It won't
2: save the world. though. So, yeah, I got an idea, but I'll I'll save it for a second. So before uh, we move on from that, one of the things you do is you invest in young people's opportunities to go to trade schools. So speak a little bit about the uh, trade programs that, you support and how you've seen young folks come uh, into places of empowerment?
1: Basically, um, me and my team, Boss Life, uh, we started uh, just naturally giving stuff back in the hood, you know, going to our old neighborhood and, you know, for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, giving our toys or whatever. They gave me my own day. The city gave me my own day. So Mm -hmm. we we found a a nice little area where we could build about 10 homes. That turned into, oh, uh, we can do A school for uh, kids, we can um, get with these guys and and do a school where kids can learn how to build their own homes. School is not for everybody as far as like a full degree. You know, some people might can learn a trade and be good at that. It's
2: a lot of jobs you can do without a degree. It's also a lot of businesses you can start without a degree. I was reading something on social media the other day and it said that, and it's so true. You have to have a degree to apply to almost every company, but you don't have to have one to start one i saw funny. that
1: too <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: that's facts that's facts, it, on it, that. so, it is
1: facts these jobs might not sound like the cool jobs but these jobs making more than rappers a lot of times and sometimes all the cool jobs when you welding and putting together like an old school cadillac you might think it's cool you might you know you might not look at welding as something cool but you can land and, and do something that's real fun and, and make a lot of money off of it too
2: Aaron, one of the things that i picked up from your piece Uh, that I agree with, right? And and Slim Thug's agreeing too, so I don't think anybody disputes the fact. We hear the buzzwords that some people like and sound good to us, like um, self-determination and Black economic independence. And what they're really doing is they are running away from the responsibility of dismantling the systems that you speak about. But but what if we took an approach that allows for what you're advocating for by way of systematic change and what Slim Thug and Nipsey Hussle and Mike uh, killer Mike and a lot of other you know black folks in the community are talking about by way of this entrepreneurship growth model uh I love the vocational trade school growth model what if we do that and right so it's not simply replacing the responsibility of our government and our nation to do right by us but we are taking some self-determination in our own hands.
8: One um is that like it can accelerate gentrification but then two the whole problem with framing um, kind of uh, policy, economic policy development and closing gaps through entrepreneurship is just, it's very indirect. If you're talking about, you know, um, you know a, a neighborhood in Atlanta that needs, you know, economic development and you want it to, you know, help the black people living in that neighborhood, you don't have to like give a tax break to an entrepreneur who you then hope goes and like builds something that like gives them a job. You could just do some type of economic program that goes directly to the people living in that neighborhood. Um, So, I think Cut out the middleman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just to kind of keep the focus on, like, the average Black person or the median Black person who's making $40,000. And and I think, like, another important point to note is, too, is that, like, Black businesses are really good, um, but businesses need economic support. They even need economic policy support. So, like, even right now, during, you know, the pandemic, there was one report that said 50% of Black businesses closed during the shutdown. And and Mm -hmm. the way that these businesses were supposed to get help- was through, you know, the PPP program that they facilitated through banks, but you know that banks typically discriminate, and historically discriminate against black owned businesses. Or yeah, own we didn't get
2: the money. Yeah, we didn't get the money. Might not get money. the money. What do you think the hip hop community, uh, Slim Thug, is in this notion of black capitalism? Is it, is it because the, the hip hop community feels like we can do it ourselves, and, 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 and we can't afford to continue to wait for our government? Or what do you think it comes from?
1: From my point of view of it, I never try to depend on the government for nothing, you know, and um i'm and coming from a my background, I've been independent, you know, I've always been my own boss, like you know, so I kind of like that's why I'm so promoting on hey man, you need to be your own boss, you need to be your own entrepreneur for the hip hop side. I think it need to be a lot more rappers investing in these neighborhoods, you know they represent you know what I'm saying, I think we need more black business men turning you know instead of with the same confidence we got going by these chains these hundred thousand dollar chains we can get in the neighborhood and open up some of these businesses and and then we won't have to worry about these people or depend on them we can kind of just self you know do our own thing that's what i'm really about
8: i think like that's one way to frame it but another way to frame it is like you know you've made a lot of money rapping, like you've paid a lot of taxes you know and those tax dollars should be like working to give people opportunity in the neighborhoods that you live in, in the neighborhoods that you're from. That's the story, right? It's like by people, whether it's through slavery or, you know, through serving in the military or even just being a citizen and paying taxes every day is th- there's kind of an expectation and a social contract that you're going to get, you know, what you put into the pot and particularly on economic policy, like Black Americans have not gotten out of, you know, the country, what they've put into it. So, Taxation with no representation. Ain't that something? <laughs>
2: I, I love it. And I think it, it actually coincides nicely with, with um, to me, some of the arguments for uh, a, an enhanced Black entrepreneurship. Not that it will save us in isolation. We, we're not going to make up for that. <laughs> Just, you know, like you said, starting mom and pop businesses. But I do think that alongside, um, I, and I like to go big or go home. So I love the ask of reparations. I think, I think there is a compelling legal case, actually, for us to get reparations in this country. Like, it's not even an emotional feel-good argument to me. This is the legalities of it all. We, it's it's a clear economic case to be made. And I uh, enjoy uh, the opportunity to continue the discussion as we continue to make it. Um, so listen, Aaron Slim Thug, I wanna thank you both. This was fascinating. And I appreciate you joining us here at Revolt Black News. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, so we just had a conversation about Black capitalism of today. Well, that leads us to a conversation about Black capitalism of tomorrow. And we're joined by an extremely special guest, he's a singer, he's an activist, he's an entrepreneur, and he is the founder of Acon City. Welcome to the show, Akon. Thank you, thanks for having me. No, no, thank you, brother. We know we, that you are quite busy building an entire city, so we'll get straight to it. So Akon City, 2,000 acres of, of land and on it, you're talking about hospitals, you're talking about schools, you're talking about police precincts, you're talking about roads, highways. Tell us about the vision for Acon City. Well, you know,
0: the vision for Akon City is pretty much to bring Africa to the forefront from a futuristic standpoint and really let the world know the capabilities of Africa's capabilities. You know, we've built practically the world with Africa's minerals, but we never utilize those minerals for our own
2: benefit. I had the, the privilege and the, the great fortune of going to the motherland to Africa for the first time two years ago. And one of the things you're you're on record, yeah, for saying and it's a game changer. But it's not cheap. So can you tell us um, some of your recommendations or tips as to how to get more black Americans to be able to make that pilgrimage? Because it is a
0: pilgrimage to Africa. There's always going to be something missing within the African-American culture until the day they actually do go home. Because once you finally are back, you just like you said, it's a feeling you can't really control, Mm -hmm. understand
2: or even, you know, uh, uh, describe. You just know it. it feels like this is where I'm supposed to be. I know Acon cities in Senegal. I know you've got um, a coin, current cryptocurrency that you're taking off the ground. What's your recommendation, brother, on the best way Black Americans can invest in our futures in Africa? I, I think the
0: recommendation would be your passion. Just yeah. invest your passion in Africa. I guarantee you, whatever that passion is, is a multi-million-dollar business in Africa. It's no way that I myself in America can have an energy utility company in 16 states. It's impossible. And then now we're talking about building my own city. How would that ever be possible in America?
2: It's just impossible. One of the things I love about your journey is that you started this entrepreneurship, black capitalistic model in the height of your entertainment success, right? So as soon as uh, Locked Up came out, 2004, it's a huge hit. You were smart enough, and a lot of us aren't, Akon. You were smart enough to say, I'm going to take this income from this here cash flow, and I'm going to invest it. You started buying property in Senegal at that point. You started coming up with additional revenue. Talk about how important it is for black folks to have multiple streams of income.
0: Well, it, no, it's super important, especially if you're into sports and entertainment, because as you know, when it comes to sports, you're, I mean, the, the, your last game could be the next game. You know, in yeah. entertainment, you're only as good as your last hit. So off top, I went to Africa, bought out as much of the waterfront property as I possibly could. And mm. that I know for my grandpa always said, soil is gold. That's the one thing that God put on this earth that will never lose value, is soil.
2: Brilliant. It's brilliant, Akon. Uh, I gotta tell you, thank you so much. You're dropping major jewels here on Revolt Black News. We love you, we appreciate you, and we're gonna come visit Akon City as soon as this opens. I can't wait. I can't wait to host y'all. Go finish building the kingdom, brother. We love you, thank you. You got it, love y'all too. This was a big week in Black News, because see, despite the pandemics trying to keep our people down, we're too strong and too resilient, and we have been for far too long for anything or anyone to take what we're building. As Frederick Douglass famously said, what to the slave is the 4th of July? So I'll ask this question, what to black Americans in this moment is true freedom? So we talked about black capitalism for good reason. And we talked about black athletes being recruited to HBCUs for good reason. We are making this very news program for good reason. Ida be well said, the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. So with that, I'll ask you, what will you do to ensure your true freedom in this moment? And be sure to ask, is as it for a good reason? This is Revolt Black News. I'm Ebony K. Williams.